today I have the pleasure of welcoming uh, Dr. Alejandro Baez. Uh, just so you know, when we started this conference uh, a while back, we started uh, having people live broadcast in the lectures from a variety of locations. One of those locations is has been the Dominican Republic, which uh, they've, their critical care group has been a consistent part of this conference and in, in viewing it from afar. Uh, today, uh, Dr. Baez comes from the Dominican Republic, specifically to talk to us and his desire to participate in the conference more uh, personally. So it's uh, a great pleasure to have him. So there's a little bit of background uh, of Dr. Baez. He graduated from the Universidad Nacional Pedro Enriquez Oreña in Santo Domingo for his MD. He got his uh, Master of Science um, and MPH from uh, New York Medical College. He trained in emergency medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester and uh, followed that up with a surgical critical care fellowship at uh, Brigham and Women's, where he stayed on as um, faculty in emergency medicine primarily there and uh, participated in a whole slew of things that involved the FBI and uh, tactical task forces for uh, a variety of interesting um, disaster deals. Um, the he subsequently went back to the uh, Dominican Republic where he served as a chairman and residency program director of emergency medicine in um, the Hospital General Plaza de Salud in uh, the Dominican Republic. Uh, and um, most re recently has uh, taken the role of being the first EM program director in the history of uh, the city of Miami, which is a tall task and, and a, uh, an impressive one. So lucky to have him here talking about um, his personal uh, research interest at this time, which is Bayesian modeling and clinical decision support. So welcome. Well, thanks, Mike. This is, uh, this is quite an honor, quite a treat, uh, being at the University of Maryland, uh, not only because of all the history that's behind this uh, incredible institution, but my program director and mentor, Annie Sadasti, is a graduate of the University of Maryland in emergency medicine. So is uh, Jim Coletti, uh, the current uh, program director at uh, Mayo Clinic. Uh, so in a way, I am related. I am family. <laughs> I was trained by University of Maryland folks. Um, so quite an honor. We've been uh, collaborating for a couple of years now, looking at uh, uh, integrating our programs in the Dominican Republic with the uh, conference series here. Uh, and it's uh, been quite... Uh, interesting and incredibly beneficial for our guys to be on the other side. And uh, um, when Mike um, mentioned the possibility of coming in and giving a lecture, to me that was uh, uh, quite, quite an honor. <clears throat> so we'll talk a little bit about uh, Bayesian modeling. How many of you guys know Bayesian modeling, Bayes theorem, um, Bayesian statistics? The it's okay. It's one of those things that uh, it comes out of the math world. And uh, uh, for me, I was uh, first exposed to this when I was an intern in medicine in Chicago before my EM residency. Uh, and they were talking about the, the benefits of having integrated pretest probability with your decision making in terms of diagnostic studies that you would use. And to me, it made perfect sense, right? It's like the studies cover a broad population of patients, imaging studies, diagnostic studies. But when you need to make a decision, and this is one of the, the traits of evidence-based medicine, you need to make a decision for one patient, not for a universe of 100,000 patients, right? So the idea is that with Bayesian modeling, Bayesian statistics, you can integrate your patient, the pretest probability that your patient has a particular disease, 
with the diagnostic qualities of uh, any given test using likelihood ratios. And then at the end, you're going to achieve a post-test probability that combines your patient with the diagnostic qualities of the test that you're choosing. Uh, and to me, that made uh, perfect sense. And this is back in 2001. So it took me about 10 years to figure out how to turn this into uh, uh, research. And uh, you'll see some of the results of our uh, research uh, program that we call the ACDC, the Acute Care Diagnostics Collaboration. So we'll talk about, we'll talk about the ACDC. Uh, first and foremost, I think that one has to express gratitude. Um, the reason why I got into research is because of uh, my mentor, Peter Lane. He passed away a few years ago. Uh, an amazing um, Canadian emergency physician taught me a lot about evidence-based medicine. You know, and being, being a Dominican physician, research is not part of who we are. It's actually something that we fear. You know, we, I thought that research meant me being in a lab, uh, killing, uh, you know, 10, 20 little pigs. And being Dominican, uh, you know, killing pigs means lunch, dinner. So, so it was, I wasn't very uh, interested in doing that uh, for non-eating non, uh, uh, purposes. But what I did was look at um, database studies, worked on some trauma studies, and, and realized that the cool thing about research is if you identify with the subject matter that you're researching, then you love it, you enjoy it, and you actually produce interesting questions. And if you have real strong mentorship and uh, good database, good research resources, then, then there are a lot of cool things that you could do. Uh, this particular research project uh, I did with a really good friend of mine who uh, actually led this uh, from a, uh, you know, if ACDC is a band, then she would be the uh, lead singer, and that's uh, Laila Cochon. A lot of the studies, she's uh, first author, and uh, uh, similarly started looking at uh, interesting questions of integrating clinical decision rules with base uh, um, methods. So roadmap, we'll talk somewhat about Bayes' theorem, clinical applications, and uh, some of the studies that we've done at the uh, ACDC. Specifically, we'll look at pulmonary embolism, sepsis pneumonia, and aortic dissection. We've done a couple of others that are not necessarily critical care related, like appendicitis and Alvarado score, but I thought that we, could, we would focus on those, uh, those three. All right, so about Bayes' theorem. Uh, so Lord Bayes, Reverend Thomas Bayes, 1700s, religious figure and mathematician. Uh, interestingly, like a lot of bright minds, his research was not given enough credit while he was alive. They actually dug out a lot of the studies, a lot of the stuff he did later on, uh, 100 or so years later, and realized that uh, the guy was a genius, that a lot of stuff he he proposed made perfect sense. Not only in medicine, by the way. So one of the things that, that they used base uh, modeling for was with that uh, Malaysian air crash. So they looked at the pretest probability, they looked at uh, where the plane could have been, and they did this mathematical model. Uh, obviously, they didn't didn't pan out, they were not able to find the plane, but uh, what's interesting is some of the applications outside of medicine, um, a lot of folks are, are utilizing. So I was asked to write two questions for the talk, and uh, the two questions are gonna come out of this formula. So if you, <laughs> quite easy, right? So being a simple-minded Dominican emergency physician, uh, this, this can be overwhelming. A lot of P's, a lot of E's, a lot of 
stuff that I don't even know what it means. So we'll do, we'll do a simplified version of uh, Bayes' theorem. And, and, and this is basically it. Bayes' theorem integrates the pretest probability. What is, when you start off, what are the chances that a patient might have a specific disease? With the diagnostic test that you're going to use and the diagnostic quality of that particular disease. And then when you integrate those two points in a base nomogram that we're going to see later on, you come up with a post-test probability. How I teach this to, to my students, my medical students and residents is, let, let, let's give you an, an example. So say you have an 18-year-old male with pain that starts epigastric, radiates to the right lower quadrant, positive uh, psoas, obturator, roasting, uh, leukocytosis, fever, anorexia, and rectal pain. What are the chances the patient has appendicitis, low, intermediate, or high? Pretty high, right? What if you make that from an 18-year-old male to a 20-year-old female sexually active? Does it change? A little bit, right? So with the same scenario, same physical exam, your pretest probability changes just by changing gender, right? So we'll look at how, how this applies to some uh, medical, medical scenarios. All right, so Bayes integrates probability prevalence of a specific disease with the likelihood ratios. Uh, if you guys remember likelihood ratios, the way I remember likelihood ratios, again, being a simple-minded Dominican EM guy, is, is that statistical tool that combines sensitivity and specificity. You have positive likelihood ratios and you have negative likelihood ratios. So when you combine those two, and those are the, the, the two most common stats that you use to, to gauge the diagnostic quality of any given test, right? So likelihood ratio actually combines both. And with the positive and the negative, you can rule out or rule in a specific uh, disease, integrating your pretest with that. So some basic math, <clears throat> probability, summation principle. The one that I want to focus on is joint probability. How I look at joint probability is this. For pulmonary embolism, for example, and this is how it all started. It started with a case that I had that involved a massive PE, and the patient was seen 21 days earlier with a normal EKG. And then the patient showed up with acute chest pain, dyspnea, and an EKG that showed a new right bundle branch block, sinus tachycardia, STT changes, and an S1Q3T3, right? So when you actually add all those EKG changes with the clinical scenario, somebody that has cancer, that drove four hours, that has chest pain and dyspnea, then you actually create a stronger picture for a presumptive diagnosis of pulmonary embolism. Th does that make sense? It's not the same as to have a sinus tag, right? So sinus tag is the most common abnormal EKG finding for PE. But one thing is to have an acute core pulmonal pattern on a new EKG that wasn't there, right, with a pretest probability that, that's high or intermediate at minimum for pulmonary embolism. So joint probability is one of those. So we'll throw out basic stats, right? Whenever I see stats, I, I feel like uh, curling up in the fetal position and uh, sucking my thumb and, and calling my mom. Um, but stats are a uh, necessary evil, right? Uh, I remember one of my first stat uh, talks talked about how biostats can be hazardous for your health. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of interesting things can uh, come from uh, playing with stats. But the, the things that we need to look at when we use Bayesian modeling is sensitivity, specificity, and how likelihood ratios come out of sensitivity and specificity. And this is what your positive likelihood ratio and your negative likelihood ratios derive from. In essence, you use your positive likelihood ratios when you want to rule in 
a specific disease and use your negative likelihood ratios when you want to rule out a specific disease. Uh, keep this in mind because we're going to be playing a lot with uh, the nomograms with, with these two. All right, so clinical applications. This is an interesting Lancet article from uh, 1967. Talked about using Bayes, and one of the first that I saw that looked, looked at integrating Bayes' theorem with uh, clinical decision-making. All right, so let's get to this. So here's the thing. This is uh, when I teach this to emergency medicine residents. Like, why do you order chest x-ray for chest pain? Right? You have a diabetic, 65 years old, with chest pain, worse on exertion, deep thoracic, pressure-like. Why do you get a chest x-ray? Can you see coronary disease from a chest x-ray? Well, the point is this. You think the patient has coronary disease, right? But there are other things that the chest x-ray can pick that are lower on your pretest probability that might be diagnosed with a chest x-ray that's not coronary disease. So one of the reasons why you get a chest x-ray is because there are other things that could be going on. You know, pneumonia, um, indirect findings of a pulmonary embolism, which are super rare, where you could see those, uh, pneumothorax, uh, different things that can be seen on the chest x-ray, right? So how do you set up, how do you determine pretest probability? One of the things, you can do this without numbers, without fancy math, and you can base it on gut feeling. One of my mentors from Boston is uh, Sanjeev Chopra, the brother of Deepak Chopra. I remember when I met Deepak Chopra, Deepak Chopra is uh, a bit more esoteric than, uh, uh, than uh, Sanjeev. Uh, Deepak believes that gut feeling has to do with the amount of uh, lymphatic tissue that's in the GI system. And because lymphatic tissue has memory, then the memory from your lymphatic gut is telling you that something is off. But the reality is this, those of us that do, you know, the more, the more you practice medicine, and in emergency medicine, for example, on, on a 12-hour shift, on a 10-hour shift, you can see up to 40 patients, right? So you, the more you practice, the more you see, and the more you develop that gut feeling, right? It's one of those things like, you, you see that patient, vitals look great, everything's normal, but you're like, there's something off with this guy, and I'm not gonna send him home. Right? Has that happened to you guys? It's like, there's something up with this patient, patient's not gonna go home, and that's why God created observation units, you know? Uh, and then 20 hours later, the patient has something catastrophic happen to them, right? So clinical decision rules is actually the objective way that you can do pretest probability. Uh, you can, there, there are a lot of different uh, clinical decision rules, Wells score, Alvarado score for appendicitis, Timmy, uh, uh, aortic dissection risk score, meds, CURB 65. So we'll talk a little bit about some of those and how we use them uh, in our research program. So let's start with a clinical case. This is um, somewhat, somewhat imaginary, somewhat fiction. So 65-year-old male, sudden onset of chest pain and dyspnea, bladder cancer, a long car ride prior to the episode, right leg pain and swelling, and a new right bundle branch block on EKG. What, what do you guys think it sounds like? Sounds like PE, right? Sounds like PE. So we go to the well score, and well score is an interesting validated uh, recursive partitioning rule that looks at what are the things that when you see them on a specific patient that makes you believe that the patient has a low, intermediate, or high pretest probability for having a pulmonary embolism. So it looks at stuff like suspected DVT, an alternative diagnosis, tachycardia, mobilization, history of DVT, hemoptysis, or cancer. So when we grab our patient, we realize that based on everything that that patient had, uh, let's say the patient has a score greater than six, which brings the patient high on the pretest probability, and based on wells, that gives the patient 59% probability for having a pulmonary embolism, all right? 
So let's look at chest x-ray P. And how many of you guys would do a chest x-ray for a pulmonary embolism? I mean, what's interesting is before CT, this is probably what they did, right? It's like, let me get a chest x-ray, see if there's a Hampton's hump, see if there's a Western mark sign. But still, in some countries, like in the Dominican Republic, some people say, well, the patient is not hypoxic and the chest x-ray is okay. So the patient doesn't have a pulmonary embolism. And, you know, and it has to do with the evolution of, you know, and I say Dominican Republic because unfortunately I've, I've heard that story many times while practicing there. <clears throat> but it has to do with the evolution of science and medicine and everything else. So chest x-ray and P, just for the sake of this exercise, let's look at this. So a little uh, meta-analysis looks at a sensitivity of 33 and specificity of 59, so that gives the patient a likelihood ratio positive of 0.80, right? So remember, we have a well score of 59, and we have a positive likelihood ratio of 0.80 for chest x-ray being able to rule in PE. When we, when we plug this on the nomogram, this is what the base nomogram looks like. On the left, you see the pretest probability where you put your well score there. On the middle, you see the numbers that you would use for your likelihood ratios, right? So when you use the point on your pretest and the point in the middle for your likelihood ratios and, and draw a line, that line should end up on the right where your post-test probability is. And what's interesting about this is you start off with a 59% of having pulmonary embolism, right, based on wells. And by choosing the wrong test, by choosing a chest x-ray to rule in pulmonary embolism, you drop from 59% to 50%. So you're actually worse than how you started by choosing the wrong test. And this is the cool thing about this methodology. Choosing the wrong test can be harmful for the patient, right? And we can use this in different scenarios. For example, um, if you want to look at a paradoxical embolus and you don't do a bubble study, right? Like what, how good is that test if you actually don't do a bubble study? Um, getting an MRI for a patient seizing. Right? It's like, what, what does that do? And I've actually seen both of those examples uh, in practice. You think that you're getting the right test, but by choosing the wrong test, you actually end up not benefiting the patient. A patient that already had, based on your clinical suspicion, a higher probability of having a specific disease. So this is like flipping a coin, it's 50-50. It's cheaper to just flip a coin and say, heads, patient has P, and I'm going to treat. How about CTA for P? By the way, this is the, uh, the actual CT of that patient that I saw, uh, bilateral massive uh, saddle. All right, so CTA for P. Sensitivity specificity gives you a likelihood ratio positive of 20.75. When you put on the nomogram, you start up with 59 and your post-test is higher than 96. That's pretty good, right? So it's choosing the right test for the right patient population. We can talk about using this to rule in, we can talk about using this to rule out, and uh, I'll give you some of the examples based on the, uh, on the studies that we have. All right, so far so good. So any questions up until now regarding base? Makes sense, right? It's, you know, it is a mathematical model. You basically assume that your clinical decision rule is right. You basically assume that the tested sensitivity and specificities for the specific diagnostic tests are also correct. 
but it helps you. It helps you, it helps guide you in terms of making the right decision for the right patient. Not big groups, not 100,000 patients, but your specific patient, all right? So let's talk about ACDC. So the acute care diagnostics collaboration now sits at the uh, Jackson Memorial Hospital, University of Miami. Well, we're running a few other studies. The, uh, this started a couple of years ago when I was uh, back in the Dominican Republic. It actually started uh, with a thesis from one of my, one of my medical students where we did uh, Bayesian modeling for uh, CTA and um, coronary disease. And then we started looking at different, different applications. So far, we've done about 10 studies that look at from coronary disease to appendicitis to uh, pulmonary embolism, sepsis, pneumonia, aortic dissection, and uh, we'll talk about four of those today. All right, just a quick review. Bayesian methods. Basically, you integrate your pretest probability with a clinical decision rule. You use the likelihood ratios for a specific diagnostic study that you're trying to insert within the nomogram, and that should give you a post-test probability. So let's talk about our study with pulmonary embolism and Bayesian methods. All right, so it happens often, right, when in the emergency department, I think, and, and we see it also in the ICU, right? All of a sudden you have a patient that's uh, desatting, uh, you're wondering if the patient has a pulmonary embolism, and then you need to make the decision, am I gonna get a CTA, um, contrast load, should I get a VQ scan? So we were wondering, by using WellScore and integrating Wells with the sensitivity specificity, likelihood ratios of CTA for PE and VQ scan, which one might yield uh, higher diagnostic quality? And this is not difficult. Uh, you know, basically what we did was just grab the most recent evidence regarding sensitivities and specificities for CTA and VQ scan and insert them within a clinical decision-making process that integrated WellScore. So we have sensitivities, we have specificities, likelihood ratios, and this is the comparative analysis. And I'll, I'll go over this a little bit because it, it, it includes other diagnostic instruments or other statistical instruments that we used. So CTA on one end, VQ scan on the other end, we have the positive likelihood ratios. Basically, we broke up Wells populations into low intermediate and high pretest probability. Based on that, we got numbers. You remember that 59 comes from a high pretest probability. We inserted the likelihood ratio for each of those two diagnostic tests within all three pretest probability populations. So what we ended up doing is looking at, you start off with a number. It can be 3%, it can be 10%, 20%, 59%. By inserting the likelihood ratio of your chosen test, you end up with a post-test probability. And then what you do is compare what was your pre-test probability and what, what, was your, what is your post-test probability, and that gives you what we call absolute gain. You started off 59%, by choosing on a moderate patient or on a high patient population, by choosing CTA, from 59%, you move up to 95.2%. So you acquired around 35 points, right? 36 points on your, your diagnostic precision, sort of. 
But then the other thing is relative gain. What is that percentage difference? The percentage that you started with, the post-test probability, and how much you gain out of that. And this is important because one of the next steps we want to do regarding ACDC is look at economics. Look at economic impact, cost effectiveness, and that we're going to get from the absolute and relative gain and, and, and other instruments that we're trying, to, we're trying to look at. All right, so here we found that CTA was superior when integrating a Bayesian decision, decision rule. And I guess a lot of us know this, right? But it's the, it's the actual numbers and it's the, the having that evidence to support your decision. Because often, uh, you know, we, we wonder which test is the right test for a specific patient population. So let's look at pneumonia and sepsis. So there's, there's a lot of talk regarding sepsis markers, right? Lactate, uh, CRP, procalcitonin. So one of the things we wanted to look at is when you integrate the MET score, and I, you guys probably know the MET, MET score is a score developed by Shapiro and H. Shapiro, a buddy of mine from, from Boston. So by integrating MET score with one of those markers, which marker is best to actually assess whether a patient is more severely, more critically sick than the other? And which marker is actually best to say the patient is not as sick as you thought? So what we did was a Bayesian modeling comparing procalcitonin CRP and lactate. All right, so pre-test probability we got from the MET score, and we broke it up into low, moderate, and high, or low, intermediate, high, 5.3, 17.3, and 58.9%. And we basically calculated, based on the sensitivity and specificity of all those three markers, the likelihood ratios, both positive and negative, and inserted those within a Bayes nomogram, and played a little bit with the nomogram, so low meds risk for procalcitonin and lactate CRP, intermediate risk for all three, and high risk for both negative and positive likelihood ratios. So both looking at ruling in critical illness or making sure the patient has you know, bad sepsis or ruling out. And, and as you can tell, this, this can be an interesting tool. I mean, put yourself in, in uh, the position of an emergency physician. You're trying to sort out where the patient goes. The numbers look good, uh, but then you have that gut feeling that something's off, something's wrong, and you need to make a decision. You want to know whether the patient's really sick, uh, whether you should be calling the ICU folks. You want to make an admission decision, but you really don't know where the patient's going to go. So this is kind of where this, this um, research uh, happened. It was based on, on that. So we look at gains, absolute and relative gain for uh, procalcitonin with the positive likelihood ratios, procalcitonin, lactate, and CRP. We actually realize that looking at the numbers, we were getting interesting numbers, right? So on your low uh, patient population, having a positive procalcitonin kind of brought, it, brought the patient up in terms of a higher post-test probability moderate and high, and you see the benefits of that relative gain. It, so you start off with a number, all of a sudden you gain a higher number, and then what do you do with that? So what we found is that the procalcitonin was superior in terms of uh, relative gain. Lactate was a superior value uh, for severity of illness in terms of ruling out. So that's one of the things that we found. If you have a med score that's intermediate, 
and you have an elevated lactate, and this makes sense, right? It's like anaerobic metabolism, your lactate is up. There's a lot of research that looks at this, right? That looks at when your lactate is up, you're more severely, you're, you're sicker. Uh, but the point is, how do you integrate that into, into a more objective uh, clinical decision process? This one, this particular one, I, I thought it was interesting. What we did with this one is look at, so not just general sepsis, but look at specifics. Let's look at pneumonia. So we grabbed the CURB65 score, and then basically integrated uh, procalcitonin lactate in a decision rule in terms of triaging, so which pneumonia patients you think are sicker. So CURB65 kind of offers that, but you need, you know, a, a little extra, a little extra besides the uh, CURB65. So we use sensitivity specificities, uh, pre-calculated, did the likelihood ratios, both positive and negative, inserted that within the base nomogram, and uh, basically found that uh, there was a superior quality in terms of lactate predicting ICU admission. So this makes sense, right? If you have a, a CURB65 score and an elevated lactate, you know, high enough CURB65 and elevated lactate, that means the patient's probably sicker and that means that you probably should be considering other interventions and, uh, you know, ICU. This was a predicting ICU um, stay or ICU admissions. So using, using a Bayesian model that integrates CURB65 and lactate as a triage tool is kind of what, what this uh, came to be. And this is one of the most uh, recent ones that we've done. So this is uh, for aortic dissection. As you're going to there's a lot of studies that look at uh, fibrin split products and dissection. Have you, have you guys uh, had a chance to read those? So the, the point is this. If you, have, if you dissect, you have a thrombus. If you have a thrombus, you have fibrin split products. So D-dimer can be used as a surrogate of uh, aortic dissection. You have somebody with chest pain radiating to the back. Kind of sounds like dissection, um, but you want to make sure. Um, by getting a chest section and a D-dimer is what most of us do, um, you're able to actually assess whether or not you think the patient has dissection. So we grabbed the aortic uh, dissection risk score, calculated the, uh, based on pool data from a meta-analysis, calculated the likelihood ratios for D-dimer and aortic dissection, and basically integrated this um, algorithm for the uh, ADD risk score with D-dimer. And specifically, what we wanted to look at is the negative likelihood ratios. Because, you know, aortic dissections is one of those that you always need to think about, right? When you have somebody with chest pain, you need to convince yourself the patient doesn't have aortic dissection. Uh, John Ritter, remember John Ritter, the actor? Uh, he passed away because he had chest pain and elevated ST segments inferiorly. And he basically had a dissection that dissected into the coronary sinus. And he did have an acute coronary syndrome. He did have an ST elevation MI. But he had an ST elevation MI secondary to a dissection that tore his uh, right coronary. And he was thrombolized and he passed away because of that. So the point is this. How do we, how do we develop a more cost-effective, and this is where we're looking at cost-effectiveness, scheme where we can integrate your pretest probability for having dissection with a study like D-dimer and if your D-dimer is negative, how do you know that you can safely rule out dissection? And this is what our numbers show. So on all three populations, low, intermediate, and high pretest probability, having a negative D-dimer uh, offers significant diagnostic gains in terms of ruling out dissection. So using the ADD risk score with a negative D-dimer on certain patient populations, like I wouldn't do this on a high-risk patient population. 
But on a low or intermediate risk population, I, I can certainly do it. You know, we get a chest x-ray, you do a good exam, you get a D-dimer, if it's negative, you stop. Because obviously, when you have a high pretest probability, uh, you need to go ahead and do that CT and you look at that aorta and make sure the patient's not dissecting. But this is one of the things that we recommend in terms of uh, clinical decision making for uh, ruling out dissection. All right, so, so uh, you know, in terms of the ACDs, I hope that uh, we can continue to do a lot of, a lot of interesting um, studies more objectively, uh, better evidence. So we're looking at prospective validation. We're looking at uh, cost-effective ana analysis. Uh, one of the things we want to do is integrate all this in a um, IT-based uh, clinical decision platform. So, you know, you have a web app or you have a phone app and you're like, I have this patient population, you immediately calculate the wells, I want to know if I, if I need to get a CTA or a VQ, or you have a patient with uh, aortic dissection and you calculate the risk, you plug in a D-dimer and you kind of know where you're headed in terms of clinical decisions um, with, uh, with a Bayesian uh, modeling. So we feel that, that Bayes' theorem is an interesting tool that can integrate clinical decision rules for your pretest probability with uh, specific testing, uh, whether it's a CTA, whether it's a VQ scan, D-dimer. Um, there are a lot of interesting opportunities in terms of uh, future research. Right? We, we feel that in our studies, one of the benefits that we got is using it as a triage tool. You have X patient with X score, and you do this particular test. If the test is negative, then can you rest and not pursue uh, more that particular disease. Understanding that a lot of the stuff that we do is not only expensive but can also harm patient, right? If also you inject uh, contrast to a patient and that affects the kidneys, so the patient develops a reaction to the contrast. So we feel that it's an interesting tool in terms of triaging what the next steps might be in terms of a clinical decision making. And this is an interesting quote from uh, Tom Vegas. I am my lord, your lordship's most obedient, humble servant. Now that I'm a program director in Miami, I believe in tough love, so I'm gonna, this is, this is gonna be applied to all my residents. You know, if they don't say that at the beginning of the shift, they have no business working with me in Miami. <laughs> all right, so that's my email, Twitter handle. Um, if you guys have any questions, I'm happy to answer now.